You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. what it means to have a seared conscience when you sit in high places and you do evil things contrary to the law and you don't even look back it's a seared conscience it's a conscience that one time would convict you of departing from the truth it's a conscience that at the nerve endings are been burnt and been seared Paul uses this, this crazy analogy about branding someone on the forehead with a disgusting mark Have you ever wondered what would happen if you ignored your conscience too often? Pastor Dave warns that could lead to a seared conscience. In other words, you do things contrary to what you know is right and don't even think twice. Paul likens it to being branded on the forehead with a disgusting mark. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 23 as he continues his message, A Clear Conscience. Evil becomes good, and good becomes evil. And our conscience doesn't know the difference between the two. It's a dangerous place to be, folks. It's a dangerous place to be. Satan has many tricks up his sleeve. And he keeps us off that narrow way to Christ. He keeps us off that narrow way. But we must be ever be true to him, and by his Holy Spirit, is his guide. We are guided by the Holy Spirit, which now resides in us. We must immerse ourselves in the Word of God on a daily basis to stand in the strength and the power of the Lord, the power of his might. If you're spending time in God's Word, and it's not producing love from a pure heart, if it's not producing a good conscience, if it's not producing a sincere faith, something's wrong. Something's wrong, because that's what the Word of God does. If you're in legalism, it twists the word of God so that instead of showing love, we are harsh and judgmental. Instead of having a good conscience, we always feel condemned knowing that we don't measure up. And and instead of a sincere faith, we we practically trust in our own ability to please God. Maybe some of you are there today resting in your own ability to please God. If I just could read five more chapters a day, I know God will bless me. If I just could pray more, I know God will bless me. If I could just do more for the church or, or do more, I know God will bless me. Those are works. That's works oriented. Paul said, I have a conscience that's void of offenses towards God, and this is a clear conscience. One that is void of offenses towards God. It's been cleansed by Jesus Christ. It's been cleansed and our conscience is gone. It is interesting though, Paul says, I have a clear conscience. Hmm. Didn't Paul persecute the church? Didn't he cause innocent people to die? How could he claim to have a good conscience? And this is why the high priest was, not, was upset. Paul was saying something that didn't make sense because 
He's violated the Jewish law by having associations with the Gentiles. He violated their law by teaching against the law of Moses. So how could he say he had a clear conscience? Some believe that Paul was just living up to the light that he had, that he possessed. He himself said in Philippians 3 that he was blameless according to the law. Paul said he was blameless according to the law. So from the outside, Paul seemed impeccable. He was a radical for righteousness. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Because of this, John Corson said, this proves to us that although a conscience can be a good goad, it's a lousy guide. And that's what I said earlier. Conscience is a great motivator, but it's a lousy guide. We must be led by the Holy Spirit. We must be led by the Holy Spirit. He will lead you in all truth. It was Paul's conscience that led him to do those things to the Christians, to enslave them, throw them in jail, and eventually execute them. It was his conscience that led him to do that. But his conscience was, able to, was unable to guide him to the truth. It was Jesus Christ that revealed the truth to Paul on the way to Damascus that day. It was Christ that revealed the truth to him. After Paul became a Christian, it was the bright light of God's glory that was shining in his heart. He had that heart transplant that we've talked about so many times. Paul began to see things in a different light. He saw things in God's light. It was then that he realized and he said to Timothy, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. We've said many times that when you stand in the glory and the light of God, and when that shines deep in your heart, you see yourself as you really are, unworthy, unclean, and unfit to stand before a most holy God on your own efforts. When God's glorious light shines in your heart, your sin is revealed, and it's disgusting to you, and you want to get rid of it. You want to jettison it. You want, you want to remove it. You know the only person that can remove it is God himself. You, you want to get rid of it as best you can. You want to come to God and say, I've sinned. I've fallen short of your mark. I confess my sin to you. And I'm standing now in the blood of Jesus Christ asking forgiveness for that sin. And when you do that, Christ comes and stands there with his arms open wide and says, come here. Come to me. Let me love on you. He accepts you in that sinful state and his blood cleanses away your sin. He wants to cleanse you from all sin and all unrighteousness. He wants to be your conscious guide. Don't let Jiminy Cricket be your guide. Let Christ through the Holy Spirit be your guide. He will guide your conscience clear. So, so what happens next in our study is pretty startling, and I'm sure it startled Paul. Look at verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. The high priest was so incensed by what Paul had said about his conscience that he ordered Paul to be struck in the mouth. How dare you, Paul, say that you lived a good conscience after all the laws you broke, the Jewish laws, by associating with the Gentiles. How dare you? You deserve to be struck in the mouth. But the high priest was violating his own law. It was illegal, according to Deuteronomy 25, to strike someone on the mouth without at least proving him guilty. And then you didn't hit him on the mouth. You hit him on the back with rods. Look at Deuteronomy 25 in the law. But after being struck, Paul reacts in this harsh manner. This is yet another matter of controversy. This whole section is a matter of controversy. Did Paul act out of love? Did he act out of character? We don't know. It remains unknown. But we do know he didn't act according to what Jesus taught in Luke 6.29. What did Jesus teach? To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. Wow. That's tough. That's tough. That's tough to do. 
Here Paul gets blasted by somebody on the cheek. I don't think he offered the other cheek. That's tough to do. But many think Paul's response was justified. Look what he says. He says this to the high priest. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and you command me to struck contrary to the law. Paul spoke, spoke to the high priest in a rough manner. I wonder what his conscience was telling him. I'm certain this didn't do anything to bolster Paul's defense. <laughs> but Paul's attitude here is boldness. Paul's attitude is here is one, one commentator said he had spunk. He never backed down from the religious leaders or politicians. He never cowered in fear, for he knew that he was a mere man. What could they do to him? He knew that Christ was his protector. You gotta like this about Paul. Right or wrong, you gotta like him for standing up for what he believed in. But the high priest had a seared conscience. Paul called him a whitewashed wall. A whitewashed wall. Remember in Matthew, when Jesus called the Pharisees, you whitewashed sepulchers, whitewashed sepulchers. Before the feasts, they would whitewash all the tombs to make them look so good for all the people coming into town. They look real pretty. And to mark them so that people wouldn't inadvertently wander onto a tomb or onto a burial place which would defile them and make them unclean. So they made these beautiful whitewash so everybody would see. What Paul is saying here, hey, you hypocrite. You look great on the outside, but you're full of dead bones on the inside. Inwardly, you're nothing. You're a hypocrite. According to Paul, this man had a seared conscience. And this happens. A seared conscience happens when we constantly ignore our conscience and we ignore that eternal voice and it becomes dull to when evil is done, the conscience doesn't even respond. Remember? We start to think that evil is good and we start to think that good is evil. By the way, that's scripture that's going to happen in the last days. Men will think evil is good and good is evil. Paul speaks about this in 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Paul's assessment of the high priest was correct. Because he was cruel, he was wicked, and he was using people to his advantage for personal gain. And he cheated people out of much money. This is what it means to have a seared conscience. When you sit in high places and you do evil things contrary to the law and you don't even look back, it's a seared conscience. It's a conscience that one time would convict you of departing from the truth. It's a conscience that at the nerve endings are been burnt and been seared. Paul uses this, this crazy analogy about branding someone on the forehead with a disgusting mark. But it wasn't the forehead that was being branded by a hard iron. It was their consciences instead. The commentator Clark said this, they bear the marks of hypocrisy as evidently as the indelibility in their conscience in the sight of God as those who have been cauterized for their crimes in their bodies in the sight of men. Did Paul act appropriately? Was he following a good conscience or did he slip? Many think he slipped. Jesus had the exact same experience. 
If you remember in John 18, verses 22 to 23, Jesus is slapped by one of the guards. He's told to be slapped by one of the guards. It says, and when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by Jesus with, struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him and said, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Instead of heatedly raising his voice like Paul, Jesus humbly answered the question. You see, Paul is an excellent model for us in certain situations, but we always must remember who the true model is. It becomes WWJD. What would Jesus do? Jesus is always the higher example for us to look at because we remember Paul, all the apostles, you and me, we are mere men, mere human. Paul says to the high priest, how dare you strike me when you're violating your own law? What's interesting here is that Paul's first statement to the high priest, God will judge you, is actually prophetic. Because in the year 66 AD, the Jews revolted against Rome and Ananias fled for his life. Jewish warriors found him in Herod's palace and they killed him. He was killed by his own people. So if we look at verses 4 and 5, and those who stood by said, do you revile against the God's high priest? Then Paul said, I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. We just studied this in Exodus 22, 28. We just studied this on a couple of Wednesday nights ago about speaking evil against the ruler of the people. How God says, don't do that. We can't, we're not supposed to speak evil of the rulers. We're supposed to pray for them. For some reason, Paul doesn't recognize Ananias as a high priest, and there's many suggestions as to why he doesn't recognize them. It could have been an oversight. Ananias might not have been wearing his priestly robes. Paul had trouble with his eyesight, which is well documented. You know, they make a lot of things, but, but I like what Paul writes in Colossians. In Colossians 4, verse 6, he says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I think Paul needs to take a lesson from his writings. And when we answer each other, we need to answer seasoned with salt, with grace. We need to answer in humility, not rile against one another. If we could only, if we could only speak to each other with grace as well as we gossip one to another. If we could only speak that grace of love and of God one to another, we should pray that God would control our tongues. So as we looked at this morning's study, we looked at the good conscience, the one that is void of all offense towards God, the one that, that is being led by the Holy Spirit, the one that, that is being moved by the Holy Spirit, the one that's following God. And we looked at the seared conscience, one that, that where evil is good and good is evil. We looked at that. But there's another conscience that I want to look at here as we end today, and it's a weak conscience. It's a weakened conscience. And this is another dangerous place to be, a weakened conscience. And Paul talks a lot about this weakened conscience in 1 Corinthians 8. It's a dangerous place. This conscience comes from a lack of knowledge of God's word. And it causes us to think that certain things are sin when God hasn't declared them to be sin. This was what was happening in Jerusalem. This was what exactly what was happening in Jerusalem. The consciences of the men were so weak that they could not declare clean what God had obviously declared clean, the Gentiles. They couldn't do that. They had a weak conscience. 
They therefore cho didn't choose to accept the Gentiles. They didn't choose to offer them salvation through Jesus Christ just like they were receiving. They choose to put upon them their law because their conscience was weak. You know, those Christians with weak consciences today oftentimes label activities as wrong when the Bible doesn't condemn them. This causes us to pull back further and further from those who God very may well be wanting to get close to. And instead, our weak and conscious, we don't show love to those people for some reason. We talked about that in our talk about prejudices last week. You know, whenever the church's culture rather than God's word shapes our behavior, we will dilute the impact we have on those around us. It's God's word that directs our paths. Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet, a light unto thy path. It's God's word that directs us in God's word. Being in God's word is your conscience held captive by the word of God. Is that what holds your conscience captive or are you subject to the whims of culture? Are you subject to the winds of the culture? See, the world seeks to suppress your conscience. And the world wants to conform your conscience into evil, into Satan. We must seek that good conscience, that pure conscience where we can stand with no offense before God. You can only get this through Jesus Christ. We must strive for integrity. And we must try to reflect the holiness of Christ, our Savior. But there's a warning here as we finish. There's a warning here. It is the Bible not your conscience that is our final guide when it comes to loving God's way. It's the Bible. Scripture tells us that it's possible for our conscience to indicate to us that nothing is wrong when there really is something wrong. We need to be ever careful of that. Remember, our conscience is limited to what we know about God. And where do we get the knowledge of God? from his word in which he is revealed to us in. This is where the knowledge of God comes to. The Bible is our final guide. Not how we feel about something. Not how we feel about something. The Bible is our final guide. What's your conscience telling you today? What's your conscience speaking of you today? Can't wait till this guy shuts up so I can go get some breakfast. What, what's your conscience talking to you about today? Maybe your conscience is saying, you know, you hurt that brother over there. You hurt that sister over there. Maybe you need to go talk to them. What's your conscience saying to you today? Maybe your conscience is drawing you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe your conscience is being pricked by the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit is now acting upon your conscience because the Holy Spirit has come into the world to convict us of sin, to convict us of righteousness, and to convict us of judgment. The Holy Spirit might be now in this room somehow touching your heart saying, now is the time to act. Now is the time of salvation. Maybe that's, what the, that, maybe that's what's happening in your conscience. I, I don't know. Everybody has one. Everybody has a conscience, and I would pray that your conscience would be a clear conscience, a good conscience, one that, that's void of any offenses towards our God. When David sinned, that great sin against Bathsheba, when he, when he made that great, great sin, when he, when he should have been out at war, when he should have been out on the battlefront, he chose to stay home. 
And when he walked out on the, on the, on the veranda that night, instead of being in battle, he was home where he didn't belong because all the kings were at war. And he looked down and saw this young girl bathing. And he lusted after her. His conscience was bad. He lusted after her and he followed that conscience and he fell before God. He fell because he followed the wrong conscience. But when he came back to God, he said, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned and done this great misdeed, done this great fault. That's what a good conscience does. A good conscience tells you that you are wrong and you need God. A good conscience tells you to clear your heart before the Lord, to clear your conscience before man, and to get right with God. That's what a good conscience is all about. And I believe that's the conscience Paul had. Paul knew from God that he hadn't broken any law. He hadn't broken any law at all. And he had a pure, clear conscience. And he could stand before these mighty men, these judges, who were truly hypocrite, who were truly whitewashed walls. And he could say to him, I have a clear conscience. Can you stand before God today and say that? That's a tough task. That's a tough task to stand before God and declare you have a conscience void of offense to you, O Lord. That's a tough task to do. We should be like David when he writes in the Psalms, examine my heart, Lord. See if there's any wicked way within me. Examine me, Lord. Examine me. Is your heart open to God today? He wants to do a work. He wants to do a work in you. Is your heart open to whatever he has for you today? Is he talking to you right now in your conscience saying, come to me? Don't clean your act up. Just come. I'll clean your act up for you. Come to me today. Today's your day of salvation. Come to me. Is he doing that today? If he is, make a decision today to follow Christ. Make a decision to have Christ in your life today. Maybe you've wandered. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe your conscience has gotten so bad you're out there thinking and your conscience is telling you you can never go back. Maybe your conscience is telling you you can never go back. You've strayed too far. I'm here to tell you today that that is not right. You're listening to the wrong conscience. You can never stray too far. You can never do too much, too bad. God will take you back. But you must turn and repent. And that simply means turn and follow God. Change your mind about the way you view Christ. Change your mind. Repent is just simply changing and come back to him. What's your conscience telling you today? He has brought you here for a reason. It's not happenstance or by chance that you're sitting before me today. God brought you here for a reason. Examine your heart and find out why. And if your conscience is the Holy Spirit, then you can chime in with Jiminy Cricket and say, always let your conscience be your guide. If your conscience is the Holy Spirit. But if it's not, be very careful of what your conscience tells you. You are a You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, 
even when it cost him his life? What courage in the midst of opposition? Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.